This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Okay, let's begin. So, you know, I was thinking, looking at this, uh, this is the first time I saw it on a big screen. Things you see, like the razor blade, uh, scary stuff. Uh, so, you know, Shuketu Mehta's Maximum City, or say Danny uh, Boyle's Slumdog Millionaire, they paint this image of uh, Bombay as this vibrant metropolis, vital, you know, full of life. Not that life is missing here. Of course, it's there, teeming life. But your tone is very, very different here, uh, say, from Slumdog. Um, so the first question I wanted to ask you is, as a documentary filmmaker, you seem to have a rather striking approach to presenting facts or evidence. So here there's maps, there's tableaus, there's these identity cards, all kinds of uh, agitprop, street theater stuff. So if you could speak a bit about your strategies and how to, you came up on them for this particular film. Well, now that you started the conversation with quoting the city films or the uh, Bombay films, uh, our Bombay narratives, Maximum City. Um, uh, I mean, as it is obvious that I'm also interested in the Minimum City and um, <laughs> Invisible City and No City, um, Post City. Um, so that's one thing. But um, another thing is that, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm starting with the beginning of your um, statement, is that um, um, vibrancy uh, depend on what we call vibrancy. Uh, I mean, it's a big city, 17 million, or it has become 21 or something. It, it, the number of million change uh, so fast that I can't even keep a cope with it. So, you know, it, I, I, I'll tell you one anecdote. It took very long to shoot this film. Not that I've shot that much, but I wanted to shoot it only on monsoon morning. Uh, that is, um, if not in the rain, but at least overcast sky. And uh, Bombay uh, rain, which is very, very tropical rain, very heavy rain, but it only uh, for four months. It's come by, by the calendar. It comes in on June 10th and it goes on 20th September. I mean, for some reason, it's really very punctual. And it's not possible, you know, you don't get people's dates, something happened, your cameraman is abroad or something. You cannot finish. So once I could not take a shot, I had to wait for exactly one year for the monsoon to come. And the reason, finally, I actually could not shoot that 100% in monsoon, but at least I think 75% of the film is under uh, overcast sky. Because um, I wanted to... Uh, catch that almost watercolor tone, which is, um, in my understanding, a kind of melancholic tone. Uh, especially, I'm, I'm making this film in 2006, and that is the time digital is there, but not really settled yet. So that kind of what we call digital color, sharp color, is not there. But already the monochromatic watercolor is almost a past. But I'm talking about the present. So that's my relationship, you know, kind of um, this whole post concept. Um, 
so now I, I shot a lot of documentaries, not that I did not shoot documentaries, but I mean as you said Ajit Prof and everything which is conventionally ever termed as documentary material is all there. It's almost like by the book, okay, what all we consider is all there. But by keeping it under this monochromatic melancholy um, tone uh, of Overka Sky, I wanted to evoke a melancholic uh, image. So whether, whether the content of the image is melancholic or not, my presentation obviously is melancholic. So I wanted to catch the melancholy of this overcrowded, over vibrant, over represented city. And that's my relationship with fact. It's not that I am uh, hiding from fact or I am trying to not present the fact. Because I'm not a fiction filmmaker. I mean, I live in Mumbai. I always have a choice to become a fiction filmmaker. I may not have the means, but choice is always there. But um, I make non-fiction films, so I use evidences. But uh, I don't have the same relationship with fact. I mean, I don't believe in that kind of that evidence talks by itself. It doesn't. Evidence is quite dead. So it's all depends on our relationship that we, I mean, how we invoke the evidence. Here I invoke it under a kind of overcast sky. Yeah. So I guess part of the reason for that is that it's being made in the wake of a series of communal riots and pogroms. Most recently before that, 2002, Godra, mm. which really shocked all mm. of us. But going back to 1992, 93, the Mumbai riots that lasted for about 10 days, right? Mm. Uh, the 10 days that shook the city. Uh, your earliest films, I Live in Barhampada from 1993, and then Memories of Fear, these are all deal with some traumatic moments whose long shadow continues to this day, and which bring back memories of earlier social explosions. Mm. Of course, most importantly, the partition, mm. uh, 1946-47. So I wanted you to talk a little bit uh, about the two figures that we see, mm. Manto and Chuktai figures, who are, I guess, figures that bear witness to that social tensions, the ever-present energies also, the sedimented histories, mm. um, even as they sort of roam around a little bit like flaneurs, but melancholy flaneurs maybe. Yeah. Actually, um, they need little introduction. I mean, I um, did not speak about them in the film because that was not relevant. But uh, now that you sat through such a long film, I think I owe you this explanation. These are two most, um, in a way, romantic literary characters um, before our time. Uh, they were there during... Um, Independence, I mean, they were already um, prolific writers. They were both members of Progressive Writers Association, which was a kind of cultural wing of the Communist Party. Uh, so they were very serious. They wrote many progressive stuff, but they also wrote for Bollywood, uh, sometimes good films, but sometimes crappy romantics also they wrote. Manto also wrote a gossip column in film magazine. So they were also very... Um, very urban people and with many facets. You know, they are not serious communist writers. They were and they were not. Uh, they were both um, uh, had cases of uh, uh, blasphemy and what do you call it for um, sexual... Uh, uh, what is the term, Vishnu? 
obscenity yeah obscenity cases against them a whole lot of um, them so these are the characters and they're very prolific writers they both wrote tons but very interestingly uh, manto uh, who uh, wrote always on bombay uh, after the partition as you know uh, hopefully that um, india got divided into india and pakistan there was a partition which was very traumatic i mean because it has not dealt well with socially culturally and politically so the trauma hasn't uh, uh, i mean it it is in fact it uh, erupts it more, more often than not it erupts again it, it though the generation has gone who suffered uh, um, partition but the memory still haunts us or the memory is invoked for political purposes so that's also a reason so everybody thought that time pakistan declared itself as a religious country as an islamic country and manto the great communist chose to go to pakistan which really upset chuktai very much we are communist how can we go to a country which calls itself islamic country they both are muslims and uh, they both are muslim they both are born muslim they are both non practicing non believer and manto said that uh, i am a urdu writer and this new country secular country india will have no place for a urdu writer which is true uh, this city where i live uh, speaks many languages five main languages we can say uh, that is english hindi bombaiya which is a kind of uh, um, mix of all these languages and marathi and gujarati and it used to speak urdu six were parallel and equally important languages but now urdu is completely dead i mean at least 30 years before i made the film urdu is completely dead so manto's prediction was right that i'm a urdu writer i cannot live in this so called secular country of india which will kill urdu he could guess that uh, which was associated with religion now how can a language be associated with a religion i can figure it out but that was now the interesting thing is manto left india and went to pakistan yeah. after that he survived only for 4 years he died in 4 years and the die hard romantics say that he could not um uh, survive the separation from bombay he loved bombay so much that away from bombay he died in 4 months other people say that he was alcoholic and he <coughs> died of cirrhosis of liver whatever it is uh, in those 4 years he only wrote on bombay fictions these that poems chuktai who was very critical of manto going to pakistan manto tried to come back to india chuktai refused to help him to get a visa not that chuktai could have got him a visa at that time but she refused to help she refused to reply to his letters she survived till 1994 1993 she actually died few days after babri masjid demolition but interestingly all these years she never wrote on bombay so one thing always struck me who actually left manto left but wrote only on this city chuktai who was so territorial and so critical of and took it as a betrayal that his her friend left their beloved city never wrote on it she wrote on other things so as uh, uh, that question is there in my mind and it is at the back of the film it's not really there in the film but you can see that there is a lot of debate about what is living what is departure and the uh, manto character figure actually 
performs from the thanda ghosh that yeah that 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 um, that story that is told from the rapist's point of view it's actually a story by sadathasan mantu it's 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 a story that actually being narrated in the film so a lot has been written about documentary reenactments mm. within you know film studies documentary studies would you say that these figures are reenactments if so it's really interesting to think about this like how that pushes the very concept you know a reenactment also again has that kind of factual tone <laughs> into it that there's i we know certain thing as facts so we put together to make a piece of fiction which will be enacted and this is definitely not that case um actually similar kind of debate um, uh, manto and chuktai had obviously i read about it but um, first of all i put these characters uh, when i made the film in a contemporary sense that is post gujarat uh, carnage that is post 2003 and manto died in 1954 and chuktai died in 1993 so obviously it's not uh, that i mean they're commenting on the time uh, on the events which happened actually much after their lifetime so they're fictional character but because the subcontinent not only know both of them they have a strange kind of romantic love hate relationship like they have many things and they they're very controversial but they're very prolific so the whole subcontinent has a relationship with them so i wanted to reenact that memory i wanted that memory to be my background which i don't have to then deal with in the film because anybody from the subcontinent watch the film their knowledge of chuktai and mantu will be already there the way the knowledge of partition will be there the knowledge of 92 babri masjid so these are landmarks which i am not touching which i am just invoking so that me and my audience are in the same uh, space to same page to start the film so to say great uh the next question is about one of your peers anand padwardhan who is one of the more well known documentary filmmakers from india and he's done a series of films about communal violence and hindu political mobilization films like bombay my city in the name of ram father son and holy war and these have been widely shown all over the world uh, how would you say your documentary strategies differ from those of padwardhan's i asked this because i was at the mumbai international film festival a few years ago i think 2008 or 9 and uh, tom war who is a very well known documentary scholar from canada he was in conversation with patwardhan and patwardhan started lamenting about the disappearance of the social because he said you know these new fangled films are doing things that sort of are very much about the personal is the political ethos so in the process what happens is all the big movements the big kind of struggles that we fight disappear from these films uh, obviously he got much grief about that um yours is clearly working in that kind of political is the uh, or sorry the personal is the political vein and the kind of you know strategies you seem to employ here speak to performance expressivity uh, more private concerns faith at the end in a way that you bring it back all to faith so if you could speak a bit about various strategies that are being that you see in these films you know maskar i mean you were okay you were trying to be <laughs> uh, but um, uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll see how I can avoid the bait that you are throwing. Um, actually, you'll be surprised that I somehow understand what uh, uh, Anand's frustration it is. It's very obvious that Anand and I work in two different genres. But we are contemporary, definitely. And I think the genre difference is, uh, this one genre difference is definitely can be addressed in literary terms. It's a big history, a little history story. Is that, um, not that Anand is not interested in little history, but Anand's um, perspective is big history. In that little history, it just fits there as one block after one block to make the big history. I mean... I mean, it is okay, it is valid enough uh, way to do it. Their um, documentary has this um, um, umbilical cord relationship with nationalism. If there is no nation state documentary, as a film, as a documentary film genre wouldn't have uh, developed at all. So, But I think Anand's frustration also is with this whole new um, uh, form, it's not a genre, which has uh, come because of. Uh, international televisions um, started this kind of, I mean, suddenly they got interested in South um, or whatever you call it, Asia. So they started pitching and they they pushing this whole uh, thing about character portrayal. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong in character portrayal. I mean, you, uh, in a stage like this, you speak as if you, were, then you take a moral stand that this is invalid and that is invalid. It's mm-hmm. not. It's the question of that how do you push a whole practice towards certain thing only by funding politics? Because according to them, an European audience, especially non-English speaking audience, but they also mean America in that. Um, because Americans don't like to hear uh, accent, uh, English in other accents, so that become uh, another language. And they don't like subtitle, subtitle um, so it has to be dubbed. And for all this practical reason, it has to be a character portrayal or at the most a community portrayal through more than one character. So there, there has been a push towards that. So I can understand Anand's frustration, but I don't appreciate his use of language that it is against personalist political or socialist political or politicalist personal or whatever. I think that is narrowing the slogan and the practice both. But I also add one thing is that... Um, disagreement with you, Bhaskar, I don't make personalist political film, not anymore. And I think that we also don't use that slogan Mm. that often anymore, or all that um, unquestioning anymore. So, we shift to collaboration. You've said a few things before, but what made you turn from scripted films with a single director at the helm to a collaborative project? I mean, Cinema City, if you look at the book, uh, I've even had the chance to see one of its iterations. It's staggering, the amount of collaborative work that goes to the point that it becomes even impossible to assign authorship to those, some of those. So the question? The collaboration, why did you turn to that? Okay, um, you know, it's also, a, uh, again, my post-obsession, it's, it's the post-industrial pattern is that nothing gets produced in one site by one author or one manufacturer, so to say. It, it is a, a series, and 
the one set of expertise or one set of skill produce a part of it then it goes it's a network then it goes somewhere else then another part is being made then another part is so nobody even knows what it is going to take shape mm-hmm. now it's, it is the search shop culture it is under um, criticism for various reasons but it's also the post industrial contemporary practice and uh, mm-hmm. i felt at one point after making this film that uh, as it happened to all of us i'm sure that you look back at your old work and think how naive i was and how could i be so naive <laughs> so uh, i mean 10 years before i made this film uh, i made i live in merapara my first film which was also on the city of bombay and i felt it was very naive so i made this when it, this got made then i thought ki okay this is also pretty naive but also it felt that uh, city as a subject but many other subject can be that is really busting at the same and one way to do it is that spread the uh, authorship it's not denying anybody the authorship collaboration or non copyright does not mean that people will be like the many people panic that what will happen to my creativity what will happen to my authorship it is not denying the authorship it is going beyond authorship so actually everybody is credited so uh, like one work i will just tell you that that sweet shop that i showed you some images uh, when i was showing talking about cinema city how it had happened is that uh, we were working uh, with an architecture college actually i was teaching uh, three consecutive semester of fourth year and so they were like my slave labor they were the students were there to work on cinema city but they said but we don't know anything about cinema so very basic thing one day i took the directories like a yellow page of the theater uh, film industry where everybody's name and uh, under one category or other so that you know how many categories of labors are there i took the directory to them i showed them just study this and see how many kinds of people come in to make film they kept it and they worked on it and after a week um, in the class they brought as their dissertation they broke the directory and in the map they spotted which uh, kind of workers live in which part of the city those were not cell phone days so people addresses used to be there now you cannot make out because everybody gives only their cell phone and nothing else so suddenly there is a map with special uh, positioning of a particular skill but their engagement is there they cannot do more than that so the video uh, people came and they made video so these are the short shop these are the holes in the wall so they shot, go and shoot and document those holes in the wall then visual artist came in and for them then those videos become the raw material so one set of people is doing their end product which is an artifact but another set of people can come in and look at it as raw material and create another artifact by another set of intervention then another set of people come that doesn't mean that we don't say who made the maps but finally what we see is much more than the map or layered upon the map so it's not to deny anybody the authorship but collaboration means so that uh, it becomes circular it doesn't become a finished artifact at any point mm-hmm. well it sounds too romantic no i'm sorry mm-hmm. but uh, yeah well i mean every iteration of cinema city when it was in pune then in bombay delhi bangalore it was different yeah. every iteration yeah. was different yeah. you actually had different objects mm-hmm. and things coming in yeah 
you know, looking... And that is what single-screen uh, narrative cannot do. So that, that was the dissatisfaction that why not, why not a film? After all, I'm a filmmaker. So I, uh, not, uh, can, couldn't I made a film on cinema industry in a city? I mean, uh, possible, but couldn't have been this fun or couldn't have been that layered, you know? Yeah. Pleasure. I am just amazed by your continuing investment in it because, you know, a lot of folks who uh, talk about Bollywood, talk about surviving Bollywood, uh, are trying, having to move beyond Bollywood to make any semblance of meaning or sense. Uh, but you seem to really draw your energies from Bollywood at the same time as you, of course, criticize it in certain ways or show its hidden sweatshop practices, all the people that don't get credited. So... Well, pleasure, I don't know, Bhaskar, that you'll have to tell me. But definitely, <laughs> I mean, it's not no question of surviving Bollywood. I survive because of Bollywood. I'm ever a filmmaker because of Bollywood. Bollywood may not like that. Uh, Bollywood is a term I don't like, but because of the ma mainstream cinema. Um, because, uh, because it is a cinema a city, so there is skill, there is resources, there is image culture, there is image discourse on which we then built our work. Uh, I don't think I would have ever been a filmmaker if uh, Bombay mainstream cinema was not there, at least in Bombay. I mean, I don't know, somewhere else I would have become. So that's what the cinema city idea is. If a city which produces steel, we call steel city and everybody somehow or other related to uh, steel, is it? Because now Bombay has stopped producing anything hard. Uh, it is to have textile industry, chemical industry, everything has closed down. So only thing it produces is image. So in the image economy is something that we all are involved with. And that thriving image economy makes me a filmmaker. And then all my protagonists. I mean, whether I like it or not, without touching Bollywood, I cannot enter their life because that's the only language we speak. Hindi cinema is the only Indian language, common language. I mean, there are many, many Indian languages, but those are specific languages. Some people know that language, some people don't know that language. Now, this language, whether it is superficial or not, whether it is flat or not, whether it is overarching or not, that's film studies um, subject. I'm, I'm not uh, authorized to talk about it, but that definitely the common dialect that we have. I had a few more questions, but it's getting late, and I know some of you have questions, so let's open it up. I wondered if you'd talk a little bit about uh, the title of the film and its relationship to the structure of the film, because if it's, um, you know, seven cities and a metro, and the train figures very prominently throughout, but you also have it structured, but, but it's by goddesses. Um, so I wanted you to just talk a little bit about the structure and, and your thinking about that. I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, the information that is in the film, everybody knows, is that it, it was seven islands and the uh, British um, uh, got it as dowry and then East India Company developed it. But uh, this, uh, there is also this myth in the city that uh, the seven islands are named after seven goddesses. Mumbadevi, Yambadevi, this, that. And those goddesses, so the story that Chuktai once tell in the film... Uh, um, in the film, in the train that she narrates a sto story that the seven goddesses uh, are um, guarding the city and you won't be able to take uh, things out of uh, the city. 
that's also is actually migrant folk, to, uh, folk tale is that uh, you may come here you may have a good time and you may not have a good time but you cannot take your fortune out and that has been said actually in about all big metropolises that is sucks you in you cannot think that I will make a fortune and I'll go back. So these folktales, in a way, I mean, uh, um, Bombay has, has its own share, but it's more or less echoes uh, the similar folktales about all uh, big cities. But here I, I mean, while doing the script, I don't know, you tell me whether it comes in the film or not. Uh, what was in my mind is that uh, this whole relationship of a land mass that, that we think is a metropolis, land mass or people mass, mass. And islands at fragmentation. And like melancholy, this fragmentation in the whole, fragmentation in the mass or atomization in the mass. You know, when people don't go to the market anymore, but they get um, uh, fish um, uh, supplied to their doorstep, is, this is a kind of island. And that's only again a metaphor for many, many other kind of uh, islands. I mean, uh, riots, racial riots are part of, again, and such exercise. So, does it come together or does it actually get further and further fragmented? So, yeah, island is also a kind of um, metaphor that works in my head while doing the script. And also this film is actually almost 100% scripted. In the sense, I mean, documentary section is documentary section, but I, it's almost scripted, almost I knew what will people say. I mean, that, I mean, that is my relationship with the film. Um, so, um, Say when this uh, man says that uh, I ran a bulldozer on my own house. Now I knew that there will be people who are actually bulldozing on the uh, their own community. So I asked my assistant that look for such a man who will come in this part of the film. So that was decided. Now I didn't expect him to say that I, uh, on camera that actually I broke um, um, destroyed my own home. So that's extra, that's documentary pleasure. Mm. But otherwise the film is very scripted and very structured and everybody, I, I knew where they will come. In that, that way it is fiction, I can say the style of making it was fiction. Another place, because you said about fragmentation, obviously I mean you wanted to know, so I want to tell you about the Fisher folks. Because when I started the film there was lots of rights because um, Marathi people, the so-called original people, were bashing up these vendors who were migrants, these male vendors, and there was a lot of violence. So as a secular progressive citizen, obviously when I entered the arena to shoot that, I was for the vendors, I was for the migrants. Mm -hmm. But when I got into it, the discourse was far more complex. This is the only trade in our country and maybe in the rest of the world, which is exclusively run by women, not a high-end trade, it's a low-end trade, it's fishing, uh, is um, uh, selling fish at a retail market, which is entirely 100% women run. And they are losing their land, which was actually protected land, but their buildings are coming up. Development is making the water body drying, so they are losing their livelihood. These are the subaltern people. We did not pay any attention. I mean, no trade union movement paid any attention. They were never part of any trade union or small traders union. They were not part of any feminist movement. And so the right wing movement have picked it up. But the issue is very, very complex. It is the single male migrant 
sly vendors versus uh, women who um, um, tra- tra- traditional women um, occupation. So that became very complex and their documentary took over my fiction writing and I, I lost it. As, as you can see that that is the section I left it just in the middle because I couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. Um, so in the movie you got you women talked about being pushed out of their industries like the bars and the um, speak on the mic I can't oh, hear. Sorry. They talked about being pushed out of their industries like the bars and the um, the factories and stuff. So how did you feel as a f- woman filmmaker in India? Like did you feel that you weren't allowed to go into certain places or were you pushed out by men? Did they feel that you weren't um, that you didn't have the authority to film them? Or like, did you even feel any opposition from the women or anything? There, while making this film. This film is nothing dangerous. I made many dangerous films also, which are called gen- dangerous political film. Go into the politically uh, difficult spaces and shoot. And I'll tell you one thing, uh, that time has gone, unless state comes on you, Sometimes they come, and state came on me also many times. That also there are many ways of dodging it. There are two ways of dealing with it. I'm telling you, in case you want to make a film, I'm just giving you some tips. One, people are dying to talk. It's a talk show time. <laughs> Everybody will put their life at stake to get a two minutes immortality on screen. Even if you piddly little uh, film which may not be even shown ever on uh, big screen, people don't understand all this. So they think a camera means two minutes important, um, immortality on Star TV. People are dying to speak. Any kind of coming out, any kind of dangerous political statement, anything. You, uh, many a times I have to tell people, don't say this. <laughs> you will regret it. No, 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 I'll regret it. I want to tell you. People are dying to talk. That, that is, in fact, dangerous because what they talk they perform what they have seen so it is a performing of the self which is scripted somewhere else so you go to a slum people will will think that you have come to talk about their water crisis and they will start okay because that's what the talk show theme is so people were hesitant or not are you doing justice to people or not do you go back to show people your film or not this kind of anthropological questions are anthropological ethics is not valid anymore it doesn't work because anyway everybody is shooting their cell phone or with cell phone also everybody is a filmmaker also not only everybody is a protagonist everybody is a filmmaker <laughs> so the issue is state state may stop you state may censor you state may uh, take you this thing that also there are two ways you can be sly like the uh, migrant vendor and dodge the state and do it. Sometimes you say, sorry, sorry, uh, it's a mistake, I didn't know, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Sometimes bribe, sometimes do something. Or uh, another very valid, very honorable way of doing it, the, the way Anand Patavadhan does, sue the state. You may not get your material, but your protest will get well known and um, internationally known and it may become a voice or may not, I mean, it will be known. So one is that, um, um, okay, go face to face with the state uh, and let everybody know this is what is happening to me. Another is that dodge it and do it. It's possible, even censor. Is there anybody from India? No, so I can tell you quickly, that censor, my films never got censored. I mean, uh, uh, they got, then what I do, it's digital, it's not celluloid. That one print, and they said if this print you cannot show, you cannot do anything unless you have money to take out another print, which most of the time you don't have. 
Digital is a matter of 5 minutes on your computer. They say take out this scene, take out that scene, put something else because they only give censorship to for the length of the film. Get the censorship, bring it home, take out the um, um, new shot and put it back. It takes 5 minutes Don't on your this. laptop. <laughs> no, it, I, I, dodge it. It's possible, be cunning, you are digital generation, but then you don't become the martyr's status. Mm. Yeah. You don't become the radical citizen from a fascist state. That's a good um, position as to be in. One part was, as a woman, did you face particular difficulties? Again, um, 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 not hostility. Because uh, I think it's the other way around. Many places uh, mm. uh, they will push a man and they will not push a woman till now. Even, even if you go to the right wing goons uh, den, which I don't, I don't really shoot polemic things. Uh, but uh, what happened is that as a woman, many things is not accessible to you. Say, uh, not here, not in this film, but you people will remember, I was talking about those slum cinemas in, in the conference paper. But there are more to that story. Um, but my entry as a woman ends there. After that, which is an adult man-to-man stories of, you know, whatever adult films, days that what else happened there, I knew very well that I won't be able to get that. But then, okay, men also don't get many things that I get. So I think that's it. Uh, to think that a men's world is actually immensely more interesting than women's world, then if you don't have access to men's, certain part of men's world, then you... But then a male filmmaker also don't have access to certain part of uh, female world. So that's okay. I mean, um, uh, there are language barriers, there is uh, many other barriers that also work. So. I mean, there was a time I used to get annoyed over this, but I think one comes in terms with it. And again, things of ways of strategies of dealing with it or put it in the film by itself rather than feeling miserable about it. I really enjoyed the film, and there's one thing that struck me that I wondered if you could comment on, having to do with the choice of uh, depicting the cemeteries related to the different populations who live there, and the idea of claiming a stake uh, in the different parts of the city. And to me, it seemed like a map in and of itself, and just wondered if you could comment on that. Yeah, actually, um, did not bring it because again that that would have been polemic in a different way. It's apparently like this that um, during the Second World War, when some European Jew people fled there, they were refused space in the Jewish cemetery because they are not Jew enough. So there was a separate cemetery for European Jew and separate cemetery for um, Baghdadi Jew, which was. Real aristocrat Jew, so to say. Then yet another for the Jews, European Jew sex worker. So there are so many categories. I mean, I did not dwell so much time on this, and I didn't want to get into now um, Second World War politics because that would have taken a lot of time. But there are many such uh, things. Yeah. I bet. I mean, would you say that you were also showing this as a way of? referring back to that incredibly cosmopolitan yeah. nature of Bombay, the city, and the 
90s orchestration of a Marathi manushan, mm. like indigenous people, indigenous city, that kind of idea. Two things, Bhaskar. One is that it was far more cosmopolitan than it, it uh, we say modern time is cosmopolitan, but it was, to begin with, it's mm. a port city, so naturally it was cosmopolitan. And because there's so much controversy about who came first, so before that only lots of people said, we were the first, we were the first. So I said, let's not get into that date because nobody's come, arrival dates are like really that documented that we can get into that controversy. But let's see who died when. If you died there, you must have lived there long enough, right? I mean, I mean more or less. And if you are given a little space on the, uh, in the city to die and to be buried, so you must have been some kind of valid um, citizen. And that is so much variety. But uh, there is also that... Um, Strange, man, it's not strangely, uh, but this city is also the uh, uh, World War cities, mm -hmm. though, to show that yeah. also. that. Uh, Anything else? One last question, maybe? Huh? You can only ask the last question. Last question. I had three, so... I wanted to ask you about complicity and resistance, blueprint and the messiness of social practices, and originality and copy culture. You could have dealt with originality and copy culture a little yeah. bit. So maybe choose one. Complicity and uh, resistance. Okay. Actually, complicity is resistance is almost what this girl asked. I mean, her, um, the answer I've given to, there is complicity. And, uh, but I also want to give another example is that uh, complicity and resistance are actually, I would say, uh, two lenses to look at transgression. Any, any transgression, you look at it as complicity or uh, mm. resistance. Uh, and uh, I will say that a resist, it depends on how precarious a resistance is, it becomes complicit. Okay, within this project, but otherwise you know what I mean. But there are many other examples from life, but since we are talking about this film and cinema city project, I'll give you an example uh, about this, again, the slum cinemas. Now, uh, that day, um, Dr. Swati Chattopadhyay said that these are all subculture and uh, these are uh, vibrant places and uh, why are you talking about that cinema is dead? Now, the thing is that actually I am not interested in that. I am interested in the precarity of it. Now, see, they are unauthorized. Unauthorized is not complicity. Okay, Unauthorized doesn't make you criminal. Unauthorized is just that you are not good enough. You are not mean. You are not... But you are there, it's okay. I mean, you are a nuisance, but you are okay. But, and they show, see films in unauthorized places, which somebody breaks, but it can be made in 10 minutes because it's only two bamboos and one cloth and one television, it starts again. But little shift in political climate, not even in India, some bombing in Paris or in somewhere else or in New York. And suddenly these unauthorized places will first become illegal, then of criminality, and then they will be criminal. Now, only if their right to entertainment is legalized and made into mainstream, then this doesn't happen. It's only thing is that the only way they can watch films today, collectively, because they don't have a private space, is an unauthorized place. An unauthorized place is always precarious. So we can romanticize as long as it is unauthorized as subculture, but then little shit it becomes first illegal and then criminal. 
and then it become complicit. So it's an external shift. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's a translation. Actually, it's a non-mainstream. I mean, so. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.